This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. It's never a good sign when I'm the one presenting a logical solution. Scott Owen. James, can I just make just one quick point? And Adam Pace. Uh, I'm a male. No. Starting now. Well, look, it really does come down to your perspective how things went on Saturday for the Brisbane Raw. Decent point, possibly two dropped. But one thing we can all agree on, it was really freaking hot at Morton Daly Stadium. Thankfully, it's a little bit cooler for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. It is James and Scott with you again on a lovely Wednesday evening. And we are also very pleased to be joined by, I think, our first international uh, guest on the podcast. Um, He is in Milan and goes by the name Adamo. So, uh, Adamo, babidi boopi. Yeah, we don't have subtitles. This is an audio medium. Either way, Scott, how are you? James, I thought we agreed last week on the show. We do not pay hostages. Why? How is Adam here? I don't know, but he's done a great job hacking the satellite. Right, Adam? It's a cheap satellite, so if I drop out, that's the reason why. We went all cheap, Scott, because there wasn't much ransom money left. Well, yes, it also does uh, sum up the production budget of this show. Either way, there is a lot to talk about as we're four rounds into the 2022-23 A-League season for the Brisbane Raw. And, uh, well, look, the jokes have been made, they, you know, several times. But, uh, yes, the Brisbane Raw have seen another Brisbane draw for the third time in four matches this season. Scott, 1-1 draw with Melbourne victory. And the first question I want to ask you is it a good point considering the way the match unfolded? It's the context of the point, right? Could you look at in terms of look, if you take a point at home, probably not. But the <laughs> circumstances of of the point, given they were down to ten men for half an hour, and it was extremely hot, it probably is a good point in the way in the end. I mean, victory did run over the top of the roar, and then as you'd expect, eleven v ten, the raw defended really admirably in the last half an hour to take the point. But in the first half, James, I don't think they really did enough eleven v eleven to get a goal ahead in the game. It was the plan was probably to make victory melt in the heat and then capitalize in the second half. Other events which will get to prevent prevented them from doing that. That said, it's probably a reasonable point, but they do need to start picking up three points sooner rather than later. Especially with four all of their first five games at home, three draws and a loss thus far. <laughs> Not an ideal scenario. However, as you said, considering the context of the match it was a good point. Now, we will go to our foreign correspondent. Adam, you're viewing this from very, very afar. But uh, three draws to start the season, not all doom and gloom, I suppose? Oh, look, it depends on which way you look at it. Uh, look, three draws, and as the table shapes up, they're, they're, they're the top, they are the victory who sort of slipped down the seventh. Uh, the first three rounds against the top three teams. So, look, uh Three points in the bank is probably heading into the Sydney game and then the break is probably not a bad thing, but they definitely do need to win just to right the ship a little bit and say, because at the end of the day, you can look at it and go, okay, they haven't won in four, but the positive side of things is also as well is that they've only lost one in the last four. So again, it's it's a case of how you view it and you know whether you're optimism, but they do need a win. I think it starts with Sydney on Sunday. Yeah, and that's a good point as well, but... In the end, the Raw were left wanting in front of goal again, Scott. They were. There were some good signs of the game between Charlie Austin and Joe Knowles with their link-up play, and they had a couple of 
good opportunity. But once again, the goals just haven't been there, James. That's been the case for the last couple of years for the Royal. All the attacking options they've tried, they haven't yet found that regular path to goal in the league. And yeah, on Sunday in the second half, yes, they were down to 10. They did create a better chance with 10 than 11. I thought the um, one where the, I think it was Austin's shot just after the red card, James, which went over the bar. Was, that was probably the best chance the Raw created, actually, when they were down to 10 for that. But there hasn't been enough in the front third yet in this first month of the season to make you to make it, you think that they can be a team at the top of the table. Yes, they've been playing the teams at the top, and draws against a couple of them are admirable results. But points in the bank are going to be crucial here, particularly for the Raw. This is their last game this weekend ahead of the World Cup break, which for them is a three-week break as opposed to two, because the game against Perth is postponed. But everyone else has a game, so... If they don't win this weekend, James, they do run the risk of being potentially cut adrift at or near the bottom of the table going into the World Cup break, and that just brings pressure, which may or may not be deserved. Yeah, exactly. And the pressure is starting to build from a fan base that does expect quite a lot uh, to go on about it. And uh, we do need to talk about the controversial moment of the match, which was the dismissal of Jordan Holmes live. I didn't think anything of it. I thought it was 50-50. can understand why it was eventually pull back for a foul. But, uh, Scott, I feel like there's a bit of a discrepancy in what we were told on the day compared to what has been reported by the uh, match review panel in the uh, subsequent hours. Yeah, there was a lot of confusion with this. You heard everything from handball to high foot, and it ends up being turned out that he was sent off Jordan Holmes for denying an obvious goal-scoring opportunity. That was what was came out on Monday when the suspension of the one-game suspension was upheld, so he will miss the game against Sydney, but you're right, live, I didn't, I, I thought it was an interesting collision. Watching it back, I do think he probably did take him out. I think it's a fair enough decision. It's interesting that Warren Moon did think he did think that the suspension would be overturned. He was very confident in his press conference on Sunday, on Saturday afternoon that it would be overturned. That has not happened. I thought it was a interesting decision, but I, I think I can see why it was given in all truth. The fact that it went to the VAR and then very quick look at that and was upheld. Or shouldn't say was upheld. It was changed to the red card. I can see why, but it is a tough decision, and not the first time that Macklin Freaks had to come in in that sort of situation either, James. Well, this is where I am going to, you know, I suppose, channel my inner Scott here and go on a little bit of a rant. I, the reason go ahead, Warren, I've made this rant before. <laughs> the reason Warren Moon thought that it would be overturned is because we were told on the day it was communicated from the officials up to us, the media table, that the red card was for dangerous play because Jordan Holmes had a high knee and that Nick D'Agostino had a high foot as well. So therefore it would have been a mitigating circumstance. But apparently since then that red card and the definition for it has been changed to a denial of a goal scoring opportunity and I'm not sure it was a denial of a goal-scoring opportunity since D'Agostino kicked the ball into Holmes. So either Holmes has come out and made a tackle or a save from outside of his box with no handball, which is what I thought the red card was for, and that's dangerous play, or it was a denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. But if they can't get their story straight, then how are we supposed to take this process seriously? I just don't get it. Adam? Yeah, look, just watch it from afar on the replay. Look, uh, I, I, I look at the viewers. I think the red card was probably justified by the fact that, you know, consistently over over the years, when, when a keeper charges out of their penalty area and takes out a player, generally it is a red card. And it's, it's a straight red card. I think there'd be probably much more uproar from the other side 
of the fence if if you know, if Jordan Holmes only gets a yellow or just a simple foul for taking our player outside of his penalty area. So I can see where that comes on. But look, I granted, I actually I get to point, James, that you know the communication on this has just been just absolutely awful. Like it's gone from yeah, as you said, from dangerous play aspect to denial of goal scoring opportunity. So, like, they've got to get their messages right. Like, I think at the end of the day, it was the right call, but the path to get there or the path behind it, as far as the justification for Jordan Holmes' suspension, I think it's just been absolutely botched by uh, the APL. The interesting thing is, James, Chris Beath at the time, he didn't give a free kick. He didn't stop the play. He let the play run. He did say it was an advantage to Melbourne Victor because they ended up getting the ball back from that. So he did play advantage, but he didn't stop the play. D'Agostino was down and he was down for about 15, 20 seconds before he realised, OK, look, Victory's attack is stalled. I'm going to have to stop the play here so he can get a, get some attention. And it was only at that point that the VAR process started. And look, I'm not, I'm, it sounded like earlier I was defending it. I just have given up on it, James. I'm just sick of, sick of talking about it, sick of trying to find different ways to give the same old rant about what is wrong with it and how it needs to go. I was going to ask Adam, is VAR as incompetent and as hopeless over in, in Italy? Uh, well, I don't. There, there wasn't a VAR call in the game I attended at uh, San Siro last Saturday, so I'm going to suggest we don't even, we don't even have VAR here in Syria. So, uh, well, Mike, it was, it, was a, it was absolute smashing by AC Milan, so uh, I don't think VAR was really needed. But, uh, yeah, look, uh, obviously there's been some... Some uh, highly publicised ones in the Champions League recently, but uh, look, I think VAR is is you know it's a joke worldwide. I think uh, I think I think we're here here at the moment. I just think yeah, we've just been spared it. But uh, yeah, it is a problem. Just reading back home, it, it just doesn't seem that, that things are going very well uh, for the VAR in the first month of the season. I have to dust off my passport and head over to Italy at some point. But in a more serious note, James, it's not the only one in the last couple of weeks that's been highly contentious in the A-League. There's been a, a few of these now, and I think a lot of people are just fed up with it, aren't we? I know I am. I can't be the only one. Yeah, but, okay, this is also where I want to sort of pivot to a different angle and say, I like, for all the talk about VAR, quote-unquote, ruining games, VAR stuffed up in every game on, or at least two of the three games on Saturday, by the sounds of it. There was a Holmes red card where, look, if there was a clear and concise message about what it was for, I probably wouldn't be as worked up over it. And then there was the horrendous decision to sell, send off uh, Tommy Masella. Oh, no, it wasn't uh, Masella. It was Astropotomides for MacArthur against Sydney FC. If you want to talk about ruining games, there was still some pretty damn good football played, even despite the best efforts of VAR to quote-unquote ruin games. And I really hate the fact that all we're hearing is I'm turning off the A-League because of like one or two little decisions when we're still getting some pretty good football in spite of those mistakes. And if you're willing to put up with all of this crap in the Champions League, in the Premier League, and say it sucks, but it's still leading some good football, why are you suddenly holding the A-League to a higher standard? I've been on this for three, four years now, and it just doesn't make sense to me, Scott. Yeah, well, that's the funny thing is what we're hearing about we're hearing about the Nikolai Topol Stanley one where they intervened and it was clearly a red card and it should have been given a red card in the first place. And you hear about that and we hear about the Jordan Elsie high foot, which was overturned in the Newcastle game a couple of weeks prior. We hear about it when the, when they make inter- interventions that are correct and in a lot of cases obvious, but we don't hear about it in the contentious ones. And I think 
it's interesting this week the Football Australia have come out and said there's going to be weekly, I'm not sure if it's hearings or briefings or whatever it is that are going to, with referees, James? Yep. I think that's a step in the right direction, but they need to put out some stuff about the decisions that are contentious, not just the obvious stuff. Yeah, exactly. They need to is that, is that similar to what... You go, Adam. Is that similar to what the NRL would do with Graham Annesley uh, in the back end of the week, week of the season? Yeah, but my, my counter to that is a, fan, a fan's going to buy it as a genuine attempt because like the, the level of cynicism is unbelievably high on this sort of stuff. And if they come out and say the Jordan, like give us a video breakdown of the Jordan Holmes red card, then can that, like, will that be taken seriously by fans where they say, okay, we made this decision because the foul occurred with D'Agostino clear through on goal. If he didn't kick it into Jordan Holmes, like they need to, they almost need to get a lawyer in to try and make sure that the explanations are something that will be accepted by the people watching it. Hope they don't call Lionel Hutz to be their lawyer. But on a more serious note, James, we're about five years now into the VAR experiment in football. At what point are we going to realise it's not doing what they said it was going to do? We're no clearer on these decisions than when it was decided upon by the refereeing team on the field. There's still conjecture. There's still arguments. Is it right or wrong? It hasn't changed anything. All it's done is introduce artificial breaks in the play. And I'm at the point now where I think the data is in. It doesn't accurately get things right 100% of the time or near enough 100% of the time. There's not much difference between a refereeing decision five years ago and the decisions as opposed to now. So why why are we persisting with something like this? I don't, because, I'm just done with it. Because I still maintain the theory behind VAR is, is that it is necessary to try and eliminate the clear and obvious howlers. It's just the fact that you've got a, you've got a lot of the time an extra expenditure from you know, again, the A-League, Premier League, World Cup, whatever it is, you've got people trying to justify their existence in the game. But my my counterpoint to the whole people uh, scrapping or who are in favour of scrapping VAR, I think they're absolutely full of it when they say that, oh, I promise that I will go back to accepting referees' mistakes. That is horrible. Well, okay, I'm not going to swear, but that is absolutely You came rubbish. this close <laughs> to being the, the second person to swearing on this show. Yeah, that that is absolutely ridiculous because I guarantee Twitter will be going absolutely ballistic anytime that there is an offside miss where someone's got a knee, you know, uh, 50 centimetres beyond where it needs to be. And again, all I point out is head over to the West Coast and ask uh, those Perth fans if they believe that VAR would have been necessary in the 2012 Grand Final. They still haven't, haven't let what they perceive to be a referee's mistake go, even though it was the correct call. I know we have to move on, but how's that indifferent to now? People are still arguing on Twitter if references are right or wrong, even with the VAR. Nothing has changed. We're just sending it up to a, a booth in Sydney for two minutes at a time, time that, to make a decision. It doesn't change anything. No, it People does, are still it doesn't. complaining about refereeing decisions exactly the same way they were. It hasn't, it hasn't fixed anything. No, but for, for the point of people saying, I'll go back to referees being able to I'll accept it when a referee misses a foul or doesn't uh, give a penalty call uh, in this instance because the Raw did have, I think, a pretty solid penalty shout denied uh, from, uh, I think it was Henry Hall got, I think, uh, suplexed into the ground. Adam, is that the correct term? Uh, yeah, so it's pretty close to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, if that hadn't, if it hadn't have been for the uh, red card before, I can guarantee plenty of people would be going and saying, why did the referee not make that call? So, I just don't think it is 
necessarily going to be as smooth of a transition going back to referee human error as a lot of people are making it out to be. Just like the ones who are saying we want this uh, technology to uh, – we want football to catch up with the modern world through technology and bringing in VAR, it's not going to produce the you know harmonious results that some would be hoping for. Now, my solution is still let uh, – let, be it the captain or the coach – challenge a call take the decision to review it out of the referee's hands that's that is literally the only way that i can think of it because if you want if you want if you want to review an offside like two offside calls in the first 15 minutes great that's both your uh, calls gone and you know what else i've just had this thought is the way that they punish nfl teams for an incorrect challenge with a timeout you lose one of your subs if you get it if you challenge it and get it wrong you lose one of your subs so you can get two incorrect uh, challenges, and if it's wrong, you go from five to four to three. Oh, just two quick things. One, one quick question and a comment. Are you saying lose a sub or a sub window? A sub. Okay, so they go from five down to four. Okay, the other thing I'd say is what you will find if you start introducing player or coach or captains or challenge, whatever you want to call it, teams will be really cynical with this, James. Whenever it's a hot day or something and they need a break, they will challenge something for the sake of it purely to get a minute, minute and a half break to get their energy back and then go again. Yep. It's just, it's, it, it will happen. Now, you can punish them for taking away a sub, but they're still going to do it. Well, to me, that's no different than those players that magically develop cramps in the 87th minute of a match with a 1-0 lead. It'll be the new way of doing it. Yeah, but you know, at least then you're, you're giving them something tangible and putting the onus on the teams rather than the referees. Because, look, and this is something I've continually railed on uh, time after time again, where I hate, especially, you know, Adelaide United to me are the worst defenders of this in Australia. But you talk about, like, when you've got Isaias, who is the sneaky, dirtiest player in the A-League, in my opinion, and that has been backed up by a couple of players off the record as well, from what I've been told. Uh, where any time six weeks since I've heard that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> where any time something happens, he's the first to run up screaming in the referee's face. And you know what? I'd also love to see a referee show uh, show a bit of a spine and say, get out, yellow card, and whatnot. But that's a, se- that's a separate point. And that's, the, that's actually the other change that you mentioned before, Scott, I want to see uh, brought in as well. If you cannot make the decision in 90 seconds, that's the absolute upper limit, 90 seconds, play on. If you need more than 90 seconds, it is not clear and obvious. Now, we should probably talk about the rest of the game, hey, Scott? I look forward to talking more about VAR again next week. And during the entire World Cup. All right. Um, so there was a, we have to mention this as well, there was a uh, fan protest before the game where the den was silent for the first nine minutes before the uh, nine-minute uh, applause for Masato Kudo. Um, and that will uh, be something else that is going to come up in the show we're going to do in a couple of weeks when we don't have an A-League men's game to talk about. Scott? Yeah, so they, they then announced last week after we recorded our show they are doing a they are protesting against the club's ownership situation. They had a protest where they were going to be silent for the first 10 minutes of the game. Subsequent to that, the club announced that they were going to have a minute's applause for Masato Kudo in the ninth minute. So they everyone joined in that. It was actually a really nice moment at the ground on Saturday afternoon when the full full stadium was standing and applauding for Masato Kudo. That was a wonderful moment. I don't. We'll have to wait and see if the Dens protests. We'll continue off. It will achieve anything, but it ha- it started on Saturday, and we'll see where it goes. But it was an interesting way to go about it. Yeah, the look as I've said all mu- for the last month, basically, like 
I can completely understand where the frustrations are coming from. It, like, I'm not going to say don't protest. You need to go about things your way. But I think there are a lot more issues about just getting more than, you know, 100 people involved in the protest as well. All right. Uh, Scott, it is your turn to do the three, two, one, since uh, Mr. Jet Setter there will, uh, he'll have to do, I think, the next three or four when he gets back. He might do the rest of the rest of the season after this. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, three points to speak for Macklin Freak, who actually in his press conference, Ron Moon actually said was actually no guarantee to play in the game. He was actually injured. So the fact that he was able to come on off the bench and make a contribution the way he did, a couple of really good saves. He gets the three points, two for Joe Knowles and one for Scott Neville. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, pretty solid performance as well. Uh, also extending Melbourne victory's goal with streak to three matches now. Adam, final thoughts on the game? Yeah, look, I think uh, there's there's progress. I think, obviously, as well, you take away the result. I think there's progress. Uh, Big game in Sydney on Sunday. Uh, And then I think then you can sort of reset from there. Uh, The the off-field stuff, uh, look, I'll have my opinion when I get back back to Australia. I I don't want to waste too much of your time on that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Once you're not not using Italy's internet, which I'm pretty sure Hmm. is one of the many, many things still owned by uh, the Berlusconi Empire. Now, yes. Wait, they own that, and I'm a big fan of Monza FC if Berlusconi owns the Italian internet. Um, now, one, one They're not person, that good. <laughs> one person we didn't that get wasn't to see... Me. One person we got to uh, spend it... Uh, didn't see at um, Morton Daly Stadium on Saturday was uh, one Mr. Matthew Smith, and that was because he's gone uh, back to Thailand to take over the coaching role of his former club. Now, I, it's not Bangkok Glass anymore. It is BG Parium United, I'm pretty sure, as I look to Scott's confirmation. Uh, BG Patham United, which Patham. is actually BG stands for Bangkok Glass. Go figure. Okay. Either way, Smith has uh, left his role as the Raw's GM of commercial, uh, I think only a couple of months into the job as well. And look, I think on behalf of all three of us, you know, the, we wish him luck. He was excellent to deal with when it came to the uh, NPL in his time with Brisbane City. And I, I think the first reaction I had with uh, when this news came out, Scott, aside from, wow, that was fast, was, well, I'm not surprised he went back into coaching. I think that's what uh, was more up his alley all along. Yeah, officially appointed on the 8th of September, by the way, James. So a little under two months in the job. But you're right. I mean, it was very much a situation where he was doing such a good job as a coach at Brisbane City, it seemed like it was a natural progression for, for Matt was to stay in the coaching ranks. And he obviously has found a really good opportunity over in Bangkok here to do that, a club which he has a strong aff- affinity with as a former player, former captain as well at. So it's a club he knows quite well. will have a good rapport with the people running the place as well as the fan base, which will stand him in good stead for a club which hasn't had the best of seasons in my understanding. But he goes over there now, gets a chance to coach in a professional setup. And we wish him all the best, as you said. Yeah, and we have uh, we've seen a few reactions uh, to the departure, and I think for me it all just basically comes down to Smith realizing that uh, coaching is probably where his passion lies at the moment, and getting an offer that was too good to turn down. So I don't think um, yeah, I don't think it necessarily turned out to be the you know big disaster that some would like it to be. But um, yeah, Adam, it is a little bit interesting that it happened so quickly because. Uh, BG only sacked their coach, I think, a week ago. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, like I said, that uh, this this whole thing about oh, that you know, the, you know him jumping off the ship. Well, look, uh, to, to, uh, Mikato, Mikato to, 
Tahira Mori, the, the former coach. He was second on the 24th of October. So this has seemed to have developed all in the last week. And uh, look, Matt Smith has actually played more games uh, for for BG Patham than he did for the Raw. So to, to say that, you know, he that he sort of you know, jumped ship and all that, look, if it was any other club, be it A-League club or somewhere, some random club, you'd say, okay, maybe, you know, he had one eye out the door. But the fact is that, A, he's a, he's a darn good coach. You know, I think at the end of the day, you just look at what he did for Brisbane City. He, he is a, he's a good coach. And to go back to a place for which he is revered, uh, he you know, played 120 games for him. Um, it, like I said, he uh, like I said, it, it's a case of an opportunity that was uh, too too good to be true. Didn't you say he is how revered he is over in Bangkok? And I agree, he's a tremendous coach. We saw that at Brisbane City. We also saw that at Brisbane City over the course of the season, James. Numerous times there were people from that from Bangkok Glass, for, not former players, but fans of that club, coming over to Brisbane City to make a catch up with Matt Smith after the game. So the connection mm-hmm. he has with that club is very strong. It's not some, not just some former club that he played for. He has a legitimate ties with that club. And I'm sure when they asked him to come back, it was it probably would have been a tough decision for him to leave a, leave a position at a club which he loves in Brisbane Raw, which he's just taken up. But this chance to coach a professional club, I think it's something that you just couldn't turn down. And again, you just wish him all the best. And who knows, maybe he goes well over in Bangkok and we see him back coaching here in Brisbane in a couple of years. You never know. Yeah. And that, and that's pretty much all I keep coming back to as well. I would not be surprised if um, also there is still a seat uh, being kept open for him at the Raw in some role. Uh, if, you know, it does unfortunately follow the pattern of um, BG coaches, where I think they're on their seventh coach in five years, Scott. I think so. But I was going to bring it back to Brisbane and, and the position which he now vacates. It, it was a three GM system between you know, Rizka Liar as well. Dante Kovacevic with, along with Matt Smith were the three announced M- general managers back in early September. It'd be interesting to see whether the Raw now just try and find a way to shuffle the duties around, or if they bring somebody else in to take up that position as GM of commercial, which is what Matt Smith was brought in to do. Adam? Yeah, it's a, it's a case of, uh, look, it, it is a big loss for, for the Raw. Uh, it's just whole sort of, yeah, as I said, just sort of the reaction to it. It's just been absolutely annoying and just, just plain, plain frankly, just stupid from people who actually should know better. That, you know, that no no job, especially where it's an administration job, will last forever. We all knew Matt Smith's a coach, you know. Um, the fact that he took, a, he took a job up, especially at a club that he has, as Scott said, has very, very strong ties to and always has. Uh, I just think the commentary around that has just been, Utterly ridiculous. And, you know, I think it's more of a case of people just looking for another reason just to uh, beat up on the Raw, while the current ownership probably deserves a lot of the beating. Yeah, you know, using the Matt, Matt Smith's um, departure as another sign that, you know, that the place is crumbling, it's probably it's probably not the right night court. I think this is completely coincidental. And the fact is, is that uh, BG Patham sent an SOS to one of their favourite sons, uh, and, you know, he said, yes, you know, it's, it's a case of... No, at the end of the day, it is what it is. No one has held their job forever, and it be it you know ten years or you know in this case you know seven weeks. Yeah, and I just keep coming back to if he if he had have been offered this job back in July, I'm guessing he would have taken it then. If he got offered this job in 2024, he would have taken it then. So I I, I hate saying this considering the you know rampant hysteria amongst some of the fan base but 
it, it might not be, you know, the end of the world that some are making it out to be. And the fact that Smith has left after 50 odd days in the role isn't necessarily going to, you know, change the standing of the owners, the rest of the GMs or something. But Scott, you uh, found this story as well. I'm pretty sure where Chris Fong was speaking to, I'm guessing Marco at the Courier Mail. Yeah, he was talking to Marco. It came out last night with the quotes from him. I don't have them in front of me. Unfortunately, basically saying that he, he says the rule will be will be fine with this with this departure, and it did come up in the spur of the moment. So this is something that hasn't been planned. It just came up in the last week. So we'll see what happens. And I'll talk more about the stuff Adam was just talking about regarding the fan base and all that next week, or when we have a bit more time to talk about that, as well as some of the other things which have got the the Brisbane Raw supporters up in a bit of a bit of frustration. Yeah, that's it. Like, <laughs> this is the downside of being the uh, measured show uh, from the uh, fan base right now where, you know, maybe we're not going to go overboard when things go super well, but we're also not going to go all hell and love joy when things aren't necessarily going perfectly. Check back next week. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll wait till Adam gets back in the country for that. Um Bit of signing news as well. The Raw's A-League women's squad is uh, rounded out with the addition of Jessie Rashett for what sounds like one more A-League women's season, and she'll be back to uh, mentor some of the younger defenders in that side, like Annie Haffenden and uh, whatnot. And it's, it sounds like she's basically just been brought back to just provide a bit of a mentor role, Scott. Yeah, a bit of mentorship, also a bit of experience at the back and also a bit of cover. And virtually we saw at the back end of last year, most of the year, Jesse spent playing in the centre-back role, James, but by the end of the year, shifted to a full-back role, did quite well. So provides cover at a couple of different positions for the Roar and provides a steady option at the back if called upon, and not a bad idea. And coming off a pretty decent uh, National Premier League season with Gold Coast United, Adam. Yeah, look, I think it's a good signing. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, Jesse does provide experience. She does provide versatility. So, look, yeah. Uh, to have her to have her available to come back for one more season potentially. Uh, look, I think that's a good sign. I'm it's a good signs actually for uh, for the Raw and the women's uh, A League. That uh, yeah, look, they're they're building quite a handy squad. So I know we'll preview that uh, the next couple of weeks. But uh, look, it's some, it's actually some uh, promising signs. Yeah, that's it. And like I think they've got a side that will have them competitive uh, week in and week out. It'll just uh, mostly come down to how quickly this team finds a way to gel. Um, well, the Raw's men's side, though, will have to find a way to gel on uh, Sunday, another 2 p.m. local time kickoff. But it is a Channel 10 game, which is, well, 10 bold, uh, which is, uh, I think, their first of the season when they take on Sydney FC. Now, Scott, my big question for you, Sydney FC have played over 100 of their last 180 minutes against a 10-man side. Uh, is, that going to, uh, is that trend going to continue against the Raw this Sunday? I hope not. I really hope not. I'm, I'm, just, I'm over refereeing controversies. I'm hoping for a contro- controversy-free afternoon up at Morton Day Stadium on Sunday afternoon. It's another two o'clock kickoff, so another warm one up there in Redcliffe. Hopefully, there's no controversy. It's an important game to the Raw, as we mentioned earlier. They need need a win going into the World Cup break to give them a bit of confidence and also a bit of momentum to carry them through this three-week layover. So it's a very important afternoon up at Morton Daly Stadium for the Raw on Sunday afternoon. Adam, what are you expecting from the game? I think it's be uh, a tight game. Obviously, I uh, haven't seen too much of Sydney other than uh, they they uh, beat Macarthur uh, last last week. But uh, yeah, they they sort of had a uh, 
sort of an interesting start to see themselves. So I think it's two teams sort of uh, sort of in the similar boat. I think both teams will be chasing a win. I think I expect yeah, it'll be a uh, it'll be a very very good game. It's must. It's as must win as it can be at this time of year for the Raw. They desperately need three points more than anything right now. Just something to give them a chance to go into the World Cup break on a positive note. If they do happen to go down to 10 men because, well, they're playing Sydney FC, like if they can fight back from a deficit and take a point, that'll be as good as a win for me. But otherwise, no excuse. It's got to be three points here, like especially because it is another game at home. Well, just for, for Adam's sake, since he's been overseas, Sydney have started off the year pretty well. Joe Lolly and Robert Mack on the wings for Sydney look very, very strong. Regular, regular contributions on the score sheet. So they've got a couple of very nice import players there. They'll be a tough test, much tougher test than we saw in the final game of last season when the Raw did get over the top of Sydney FC up at Morton Daly Stadium. So it'll be a tougher test from this time to do it. But they have to find a way, James. I'm more intrigued to see, would you change anything from the weekend in terms of the way the Raw set up? To bring, is there anything they could bring in to that starting eleven that would change things to give them a better chance? Do you think? The only thing that I really see the rule make would be the inclusion of Jack Higgett. It sounded like he was pretty close to playing last week. Maybe if it was more than around four match, he would have been involved in the squad. But to be honest, like that backline was immense against the victory, um, and it's kind of hard to see them making too many more changes at him. Yeah, uh, look, again, it, it's again the performances haven't been that bad. It might, might be a tweak here or there. I just said, you know, you know Jack King at returning, you know, or perhaps a change you know, Warren like to shift out one of one of his, uh, you know, midfielders. But uh, look, I don't think it's too much you can change at the moment. Eddie will need to change. I don't, I don't think at the moment there's sort of a game changer you know, sitting and lying on the bench at the moment. I think it's just a case of, you know, as they were, and they've just got to just keep on trying, just with the trips they've got, they've just got to keep on trying to find, uh, find a way. I don't know they didn't score, James, in the game against Melbourne City in that second half, but I still think some of the better football they played was in that game in the second half when they went to a 4-3-3, and I would be considering that as an option, if not from the start, potentially in the second half to go back to that once again. I thought that was a worthwhile option, and they've got some good wingers back now with Henry Hoare and Nikola Melioznic. I think they're back fit and available now. We saw them on the weekend, so that could be an option as well. It certainly could be, and it is weird to say that you wouldn't look to change up the uh, strike force of uh, Charlie Austin and Joe Knowles, but to be honest, like Austin, you have to play... Like I don't, I don't think Austin has been bad by any stretch, and Knowles has been one of the more impressive players in the last couple of weeks as well, so I feel like you need to give those guys another game just to see if they can uh, try and unlock what has been not a great Sydney FC defence so far. No, they're, but, they're, yeah, their strengths yeah. are definitely at the front end, aren't they? They've, they're very much good going forward and still trying to figure it out at the back. So you can certainly get at this Sydney FC side as many sides have done. So we'll see if the Raw can do so on Sunday. Yes. All right. Well, I'm, I'm honestly thinking it's going to be a score draw. I'd love it to, uh, you know, see the rule get a win. But right now it's kind of a case of, well, three draws from four. I'm just going to follow the numbers. Adam, uh, what are we going to be talking about when you're in the right time zone in seven days? Look, I think uh, the Raw's performance will be a, a good performance. But, uh, yeah, I, I think, I, yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be a score draw. And I think uh, Raw will be ruining the chances of taking the win. But, again, there's, uh, 
up, up for positive signs. Scott? Nil or draw, I'm going to duck for cover for, for, just for saying it. Another clean sheet. We'll take it. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I think uh, that's going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. A big thank you to Adam for uh, calling in from his holiday. And uh, we'll uh, hope you... Th- I hope that you enjoy the rest of your time in Milan. Go see the Duomo di Milano. That's actually where I'm headed, actually. So, uh, so everyone back home. Uh, Scott, thank you. I'm not going to go visit, visit, unfortunately, or maybe at some point in the future. But just quickly, congratulations to Joe Duckworth and Tegan Riding, the players of the year at the FQ Award tonight on Friday night announced at the um, Brisbane City Council of venue there. So that were the two winners. So congratulations to Joe and Tegan. And all the other award winners from Friday night as well. Absolutely. All right. Um, yes. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for bearing with us through the uh, Skype audio as we work through the uh, delays with an international call. We hope you still enjoyed the latest episode. In the meantime, get out to Morton Daly Stadium on Sunday. It should be a very fun afternoon. And uh, we'll be back to review it all on the Brisbane Football Review next week.